I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, businessmen and women and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Neil Juice is now a household name. Neil started off his swimming career as part of the Maltese national team and achieving Maltese records in the 400, 800 and 1500 metre freestyle. Now, in more recent years, Neil has taken to endurance events, first swimming around Malta in 2018, then last year being the second to complete the crossing from Sicily to Malta, adding in a few kilometres just for fun to make it up to 100 kilometres non-stop and beating his predecessor in the process. And now we are just a few weeks away from Neil's record-breaking attempt to be the first to swim from Tunisia to Sicily, literally from continent to continent, covering 153 kilometers nonstop. Not only this, but Neil has successfully established Wave of Change as an NGO, the reason behind the initial round Malta swim and motivation for pushing his boundaries even further. Neil, so good to be talking to you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Excited last few weeks till all the work of the last six months kind of comes to, to form. Well, listen, I've interviewed you an awful lot of times. And when you said, I'm excited, to most people, they'll be like, wow, he sounds really calm. But I can see the big smile on your face. You really are excited. I know that you are building up to this event uh, that's going to be this Tunisia to Sicily uh, swim. We're going to be talking an awful lot about that. But at, right now, at this moment in time, do you know when this is going to happen? Um, we have a window, but the date isn't confirmed yet. It will probably by the end of this week, we'll start getting an indication of when, but the whole team will be on standby, 24-hour standby, saying we're leaving the next day kind of thing. And what are you waiting for? Um, the right weather window, so it needs to be ideally as calm as possible. Okay, and so you're saying that the team are standing by ready to go. Are you flying to Tunisia? Are you sailing to Tunisia? How are you going to get so there? The team is going to sail to Tunisia. Um, they'll stop in Paltaneria, and that's where I will meet them. I will fly there, and then I'll do the last seven-hour trip with them. Okay, and this could be literally next week or the week after? From the 24th, yeah. <gasps> It's getting very, very close, and I'm really excited for you. How is the training going, or how has it gone? To be honest, it's been a little bit harder than last year. I think going into a lockdown once again, um, it, it was tough mentally as well for me, I have to admit. Um, but it gave me the space to be able to train. Um, I found the sea a little bit colder than I did last year. I thought April and May, the weather wasn't as warm as it was last year. So I did a lot more colder swims and had to put myself through a lot more pain, I would say. Um, but yeah, I'm very happy with the swims. I did my last big training session, which was swimming around Gozo three times. Unfortunately, because of the weather, I didn't manage to swim the, the last lap, but I still managed to do 90 kilometers, which was very good. And we really got a lot out of it, learned lots of things. So I'm going to be drinking um, warm water, warm electrolytes at night, um, warm smoothies, just to keep my body temperature as high as possible. 
Okay, so you did 90 kilometers. As you mentioned just then, you went around Gozo twice. You started the third time, but the weather kicked up and and pretty much took everybody by surprise. The winds came in and you had to call this to a halt. Now, you just mentioned that you were swimming. You've just discovered that you need to take the warm electrolytes and you were swimming through the night for that. So 90 kilometers, you've swum 90 kilometers around Gozo. How long did that take? Um, the way we did it was I swam once, then I rested for 10 hours and then swam again. And then I was meant to rest for 10 hours, but because the wind was going to pick up, I then I carried on swimming straight through. And for that time of the year, the water was a lot colder than it was even today. Um, the last two weeks of this weather kind of really pushes up the temperature. So um, I knew it was going to be a battle against the, the cold, but I wasn't expecting the weather as well to turn against us. 153 kilometers. How long has the training been? It's been a six month uh, training block. Obviously, as I always say, I've been preparing for this my whole life from when I was a pool swimmer to when I started swimming in the sea from Round Malta, from Sicily Malta. These were all preparations for this day, even though I didn't know this day would ever actually come because it wasn't exactly in the plan three years ago, definitely. But it's something that I've been preparing for my whole life. So you say that you've been preparing for it for your whole life. Does that mean that you know, as a kid, when you started swimming, when you when you went to the to the Olympics, when you represented the national team, that you always had this goal in mind that you wanted to do something record breaking and something outstanding. What, did you know it was going to be this? No, no. It was basically the way it is. Is that I say it, I've been preparing for it unconsciously, if you know what I mean. So everything that has happened and everything that I have done leads up to today and for the future swims as well. Um, even though I don't know what they are. Um, it's it's not a question of, okay, let me try and do this. It's kind of everything kind of one step leads to the next. And, yeah, it's been a really exciting journey. Listen, right now, Neil Ajus, I have a feeling that you could do absolutely anything. Um, I want to just ask you about this big 150-kilometer swim, okay, because it's 50 hours, if I'm right, 50 hours of non-stop swimming, 50 hours without sleep, 50 hours of doing all the body functions that the body does in the sea. And I know from the last time that you did these ama- this amazing crossing from Sicily to Malta, as I understand it, you can't touch the boat. You can have things passed to you on a stick, but the minute that you touch the boat, that's it done. Yeah, um, there's no touching the boat. There are observers, so they're like the judges of the, of the expedition, and they make sure that I don't touch the boat. Nobody throws me any aids to rest on while I'm, while I have, while I'm trying to eat and drink. So it's completely unaided, yeah. 50 hours. Have you ever done 50 hours awake before? No. <laughs> is this going to be, which is going to be the hardest part of it? I mean, there are a lot of external factors that, that uh, play a big part in the swim. The weather is one. Even though we're looking for a weather window, 50 hours of having good weather is unlikely. So we're hoping that when the weather comes in, it isn't coming right from, the, from my head. So it won't be coming right into me and hopefully from the side. Um, depends on the jellyfish. I could be swimming at night after the first 10 hours and swim into a, a, a pool of jellyfish. And if I get bitten 10, 15 times within a couple of seconds, then I would probably have to stop. Um, because this is what happened to you before, if my memory serves me correctly. You did actually get stung. Yeah, um, it's fine to get stung. It's fine. But if you're swimming into a pool of jellyfish where there are just hundreds of them and you're just getting bitten left, right and center, then um, the venom of each one... Um, would obviously make me feel sick. Although uh, recently what I've been really working on, playing that the, the, the stings gives me power. 
So when I get I'm sorry, stung, what? I'm sorry, when I, what? <laughs> when I get stung, that 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 is giving me the power and energy to push on and to keep going further. So, okay, <laughs> explain this one to me again. Um, so the stings are going to give you power and motivation to keep going. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. So how do you practice for that? Surely you have not been swimming into. No, no, it's uh, more me- through meditation and ah. and. Uh, <laughs> I have just visions of you going out and swimming, <laughs> trying to find your pools of jellyfish and going, come on, maybe yeah, swim further. Grabbing them and sticking them on me. Exactly. No. Okay, good. I can go. I need a jellyfish <laughs> to keep swimming for another hour. Find me a jellyfish. <laughs> and then always, there's also the possibility of coming across sharks. Same. Um, I have to be realistic about that possibility. Um, I don't think they are as aggressive as we all think they are. Like when we watch a Discovery Channel and he's not going to see me and dart at me straight away. He's going to come and investigate. And my plan is to just not move, stay still, stay calm and see what happens. Obviously, depending what shark it is, I will try to get to the boat, but it's not going to be a whole frantic thing. I think it will just see what happens. I'll, <laughs> I'll see what I'll do when I'm in that situation, but I do have a plan in my head. 50 hours, Tunisia to Sicily. No one's ever done it before. What is the most exciting and motivating thought, apart from the jellyfish? And what is the most frightening and daunting thought? Um, I'd say the most exciting thing is the opportunity again for me to be able to push my body to these limits, push my body and my mind to to where no man has ever gone. I think that's the exciting part. And it's also the same thing as the scariest part. It did play in my head like I'm trying to do something that no one has ever done before. So is it possible? Is, is it, can it be done? So it's kind of the same thing for both, both, both reasons. Now, Malta's produced quite a number of ultra athletes, you being one of them. We've also got Fabio, who's been on this podcast as well. Let me ask you, how do you get into that headspace? How do you get into that headspace of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go somewhere that nobody's gone before, and I'm going to achieve it? How do you get there? I think it's a lot to do with the preparation that uh, the experience that I've learned from the last two swims and taking the mental side of it to to completely new levels. So I have visualized this whole swim. I have no idea what the beach looks like in Sicily or the beach that looks like in Tunisia, but I know what they look like. You know, I've never seen pictures, but I've visualized this in my head. I've visualized myself standing on the edge of Tunisia about to start this 50 hour journey. I've visualized myself in the between two continents in the middle of the night, pitch black. And I've visualized myself um, swimming up to the beach in uh, Sicily as well. So visualizing every part of it is important. And also then I have been meditating a lot, a lot more. And what I've been doing as well is um, playing certain music, certain songs um, while I'm meditating. So when I'm in a dark place and when it's not going right my way and when I'm feeling tired, then um, while I'm stopping for that one minute, my crew will play these songs and then it puts me in that headspace completely so I can get myself out of that hole that I'm in. So this is totally as much of a head game as it is of a physical game. I'd say more of a head game. Because the physical side is going to come in, you know what it means when your shoulders are hurting, you know what it means when your shoulders can't go round anymore. But um, for the mental side, it's, there's no hole is too deep and no darkness is too dark. There's always that next level. Your mind can take you to so many places. So it's important that um, I'm mentally ready for this. 
you sound mentally ready. Uh-huh. And of course, we're all cheering you on. Let me just ask you, which is the more powerful motivation? Because there's two sides to this. There is the record-breaking attempt to swim from one continent to another. No one's done it before. You will be the first person to ever do this. You're going to hit the record-breaking books. You're going to be a legend. And then you also have Wave of Change, which is this campaign, this NGO, to get people to think differently about what we're doing to the planet and to literally clean up our act. Right now, if you had to choose between one of those motivations, which are both incredibly powerful, which one wins? Uh, it's difficult to choose. Um, I think the fact that I have this ability to inspire so many people is is one of the biggest motivations. And I've said it before that I feel like if I, it will be disrespectful to everyone if I don't do these swims, if I can inspire so many people, it will be selfish of me not to do it, you know. But it's still a massive massive achievement to do something that no one's ever done no definitely 100% and it's super exciting and I'm grateful to have this opportunity and I won't have this opportunity if it isn't for the people around me who who helped me so much tirelessly hours and hours and hours for us to make this swim happen during COVID to get 24 people into Tunisia so we it's a non-EU country so we need visas we need to get them there and then we need to leave from that country to go to an EU country that isn't our home nation during COVID. Um, it's been tough, like they've been working around the clock for this to happen. Let's talk about Wave of Change because as you just mentioned, having the opportunity to influence people is, is a huge responsibility but also a beautiful and amazing opportunity. How did Wave of Change come about? Um, Wave of Change came about um, when I was training to swim around Malta. Um, on my first training, my first night swim ever. So night swim, not f- with friends out. And we're like, oh, let's jump in the sea. And it's it's pitch black. It's my first night swim with cap and goggles for four or five hours. And after the first few hours, I was like, wow, this is, wow, really cool. Like so quiet, so peaceful. And then I swam into this pot plastic bag that engulfs my head. And that was a sign for me to be its voice. Um, the ocean needs a voice and I'm here to be its voice and show people how we really need to care for for the for the ocean so the timeline is that you'd already decided to swim around malta and during that time of of training to swim around malta along came this plastic bag which literally hit you in the face yeah and and changed everything so many questions relating to this and i was talking to kane and kaz about this recently and i'm going to ask you the same question i don't understand personally i don't understand how we as individuals as human beings cannot give more of a crap about our planet how people can go out to beauty spots like top of the world or Taja gap or dwera victoria lines and just throw their crap on the floor where do you think this comes from why don't you think people care it's a difficult question to actually to break down, but um, people, when nobody's watching, people act very differently to when people are watching. Like, for example, with social media, everyone portrays a certain life on social media, but then their actual real life is completely different. And when the same thing when it comes to the environment, when everyone's looking, oh, yes, I recycle, I do this, I don't buy anything. And then when no one's looking, they kind of would walk away, leaving 10 bottles of alcohol and and packets of sweets behind them it's it's a shame and they don't realize the damage that that they're causing and this is why we're here to to educate them and to 
to show them the right way that um, we need to care for our planet or it's going to bite us in the ass. Well, you mentioned just the education, and uh, the, when I asked this cre- question just a few weeks ago, the answer was lack of education. I gave a, an illustration about c- stumbled across a group of teenagers throwing all of their trash down the side of the hill at Tajigat. And I said, why? Why do they do that? And the answer was lack of education. Do you think that's the, that is where this comes from? Uh, yes, I think um, the government needs to make more investments on educating the public. For example, I'll just give you a little example is... There's no way somebody who wants to get rid of their sofa or their wardrobe or their washing machine makes sense for them to carry it, put it into a truck, drive in the middle of the night all the way to the countryside and drop it there when someone would come and pick it up from in front of their house. It is impossible that they would choose that over someone to come and pick it outside of the house. But there's not enough education. There are not enough billboards showing how these things are done and that we have these services and even also simple things of what goes into the grey bag. There's never been a whole campaign about it. We need more education. So education is the key to changing the way people think. And is education the way to changing people's behaviour as to throwing trash on the floor? I mean, you just, you, you know, you, you, you've walked around top of the world. Yeah. You've seen all of the crap on the floor. Is education what will stop someone from walking a foot past a dustbin and throwing the the trash on the floor? Um, No, no, I think it it takes many different components. I think education is the biggest one to educate them of what services there are and why we're doing it. And we also need to show them as well the flip side of it. What is happening to the environment? What do we need from the... We need the ocean. We need the environment for our own survival. And I don't think many people understand that. And I think that's the first step. And the second step is to start changing policy. We need to... Um, go higher than just telling people to pick up six pieces of plastic. This is where it starts with wave of change, but it's not going to stop there. We need to go to the government. We need to lobby. We need to start lobbying to change policies because as a human race, not only the Maltese, I think everywhere, we need rules to follow. We need to make these changes from the top down. Well, you mentioned picking up six pieces of, of trash. The very first time that I reached down to pick pick up a piece of rubbish that was not mine changed my thinking. Once you've had to go out of your comfort zone and pick up somebody else's trash after them, it made me mindful. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Is that the practical behind the campaign wave of change? Definitely. It's like lifting up the duvet and seeing what's underneath, you know, and once you lift it up... um, you'll be shocked to see what there actually is. So um, that's the first step of making people realize what there is uh, all covered up, you know, because we're so used to it from a young age. We walk, we've been seeing trash on the floor forever. So it's just come second nature to just walk by and just ignore it. But when you actually look down and see what there is, um, it's shocking. So how does Wave of Change do that? What are you asking people to do? Uh, We're asking people to pick up six pieces of plastic. This year we're taking it one step further since I'm going to be swimming for so long. They need to do a little activity with it. So some activity, so either a walk or a jog or anything and pick up six pieces of plastic. Uh, snap a photo, upload it to social media with Double the Wave and tag six friends to do it. This is what it's all about. It's not about me breaking a world record. It's not about me swimming from one country to the other. It's about them taking on the challenge and opening their, their eyes to what there is underneath us and also to start making changes in their buying habits. You know, if you're at the supermarket and you're buying food for dinner, do you really need the meat in a plastic bag, in another plastic bag that's in another plastic bag that you're carrying in a plastic bag to go home for 10 minutes and you open it, chuck them in the bin and it's done? You know, we need to find solutions to 
use other other sources, you know. Neil, what happens if we don't change? What what happens to Malta and what happens to us as a human race if we don't change? Yeah, it's difficult to actually say what will happen. I think um, I think once we've passed that tilting point, we're going to know what's going to happen. I think it's easy for us to say, ah, oh, because the, the world will end or we won't survive. Uh, that could be, but it could be a lot worse, you know. It could be detrimental to everything and everyone. And um, when that happens, then people will be like, oh, why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? And so... Do you think people understand how close we are to that tilting point? Because that's not very far away. um, No, they don't. And this is why they haven't done anything yet. And as well, at the moment, it doesn't affect their life. They carry on their life as normal, whether they throw something on the floor or whether they throw it in the bin. Um, And when we start seeing real changes that are affecting us, um, then... What will those changes be? I mean, we talk about this, about this tilting point, and, and you know, people like David Attenborough have been talking about this for a long time, but what does that tilting point look like? What are we going to I mean, see in uh, our own lives? I mean, if the climate change keeps going as is and the temperatures keep rising, um, the ice caps are going to keep melting, and we're an island, so if the sea levels are going to rise... Six, ten centimeters. Which towns are going to be? What St. Julian's going to look like? What's Meliha going to look like down by the beach? We're going to lose our beaches. We're going to lose our beachside. We're some towns will be very heavily affected. You know, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, "Great, okay, I I know that I need to make a change." Neil is undertaking this swim from Tunisia to Sicily because he believes in this cause. Okay, I, you know, I wouldn't mind doing something. What can the average person in the street start with? What are the things that they can do to make a change, to join this wave of change? I mean, first they can start by doing the challenge. Um, We've set the target, I feel, is not for us to pick up a million pieces of plastic because that is our goal, but it's for the nation. It's a challenge to the nation. So now it's up to them whether they're going to step up and do it or not. We as a nation, Malta is a small country and we should be in the forefront of this problem. We should, people should not only be wanting to come to Malta because of our beaches, but they come because these guys have it figured out with the environment. These guys are on top of things. These guys are leading the way in Europe. And this is what I want to see, you know? We're a small island. We can grab this by the horns and really take it on and be an example to other EU countries. Average person can take on this wave of change challenge. They can pick up six pieces of rubbish. Yeah. Video or photograph Photograph themselves. of them. And then they can also walk around their house and look around and say, okay, what am I using on a daily that I either don't need to use or I can swap it for something else that doesn't use uh, single-use plastic? I had a moment where I absolutely love sparkling water. And I thought to myself, okay, I, got to, I don't want to buy plastic bottles. So I would buy the single one brand that comes in a glass bottle. The problem with that is that that water has been transported from France to Malta. So it's actually incredibly inefficient. So I was walking past a store that about two and a half months ago and I saw a soda stream machine that we used to have when we were kids. So I bought a soda stream machine and granted it has a canister of gas, but the canister of gas is recyclable. And there you go. You've got your sparkling water that you make fizzy every day and there's no plastic waste to it at all. Are these the sorts of things that you're talking about? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And there's another option for pretty much everything, you know, even 
our toothbrushes that we use. We can buy biodegradable ones. We don't need to have the plastic ones that we change every three months. And the, the list is endless. Even nappies. We need to start using reusable nappies. We go to the beach. Children swim once. Okay, they take off that nappy, throw it away put on another one and then they go to swim again and they put another swimming nappy on instead of that same reusable nappy you know this is all extra plastic that we are using every day now you're making me think of the 70s again because i grew up changing my brother's nappies and they were terry's nappies they were fabric and they went in the washing machine afterwards just tell me just a highlight for one last question what is the big motivation that you can pass on to anybody that's listening to you, whether it be on this podcast or any other medium, to make people make that wave of change? It's difficult um, to find that one message that wraps everything one into one sentence. I think we just need to start making small changes. And this is what The Swim is about. Me inspiring people, us inspiring people to make that one small change. And that one small change leads to another and then leads to another. And before you know it, they're environmentalist freaks you know and they're, they're loving it and um they're trying to see how as a game like it's a game for them to how little plastic can we use how long can we have our gray bag in our house before we need to chuck it you know it's not oh i, I throw away four bags gray bags a week i recycle yes but that's a lot of plastic you're going through what what can you do to reduce that to one bag um, so yeah, when it comes to the social media side and my training, uh, when I do a long swim and I post my photo of my Garmin or or the, just say what activity I've done, I can get six, seven hundred likes super quick, like within 24 hours. Um, but instead, we need to turn these likes into taking on the challenge. If those 700 people pick up those six pieces of plastic and tag another six people, then the the target of one million will be hit and gone and reached within before I even start the swim, you know. So we really need to stop turning um, social media likes into action. Absolutely. Again, I'm going to ask you this one question. How do we do that? How do we get people to get off their backsides and pick up that rubbish? How do we get them? It's convincing them, inspiring them and um, showing them that this is the right way to do things. It does come back to once you've done it once, it's easier to do it a second time. It's picking up that first piece of rubbish that is the challenge. And of course, that's what you're saying is that you get one person to do it and then you, they tag somebody else and then they they can see that they can do it. It is. It's is easier to get likes for that's easier to people like drama as well. Like for us on our social media page on Wave of Change, if we post a photo of a turtle with a straw up his nose, then that's what gets the attention. Where when we post something positive, it doesn't um, get as much attention. So then we're at this battle of do we want our page to look doom and gloom the whole way or do we want it and get more attention or do we want to show that there's light at the end of the tunnel? It's a, isn't it not a mixture of both? Because just as we were saying a minute ago, getting motivating people to make change means that they have to understand the implications and the result of what they're doing. So you talk about a, a turtle with a straw up its nose, yeah. but when, when people understand what their actions leave as a legacy, then that's how you create change. So is it not just a mixture of Yeah, both? but we need to give them hope as well. Because if they say, oh, it's all like this, it's over, then there's no hope. Then they're like, oh, if I don't do it, someone else is going to throw it anyway. So we need to give them hope that we are... This is making a good impact. Us picking up this one million pieces of plastic will leave a good impact on Malta, not only visually, but also 
as a nation, as our culture, to, to want to be better, you know? Exactly. Well, it is good because you've mentioned there it's one small change. It's, ma- it's starting with one small change and one small change leads to, leads to the next change. And then before you know it, and I can speak from personal, uh, personal experience, you're suddenly part of Neil's wave of change. Um, a huge, huge congratulations for having gotten so far. I'm wishing you the most enormous success with this swim. You're going to be 50 hours in the water. We will know, obviously, when you finish, there's going to be the, all of the, 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 the press and the media coverage. Really want this to happen for you. Could not wish for anything better for anyone. Really want this to happen, but also really hoping that you inspire people to make small changes, which leads to a national wave of change. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me once again. It's always a pleasure to sit in a studio with you. Thank you.